Welcome to the Ballistic Football Podcast, where real amateurs talk real football. I'm Matt, your host and producer, and I'm joined again with my good friend Jesse. Jesse, how's it been going? Uh, not, not terrible. Not terrible. That's uh, pretty much going to be. Hopefully, that's that's the that stays consistent. <laughs> right. Well, as long as it's not terrible, I'm okay. Well, Liverpool's been doing pretty well, so I mean that's something to be positive about so yeah yeah won't won't complain about that that's uh, uh better than i can say as a united fan uh so we'll uh we'll talk a little bit about that here in a little bit but uh while we're at it i just want to remind you that you can follow us on twitter at ballistic footy um, you can find us on facebook as well we are on youtube we now have a twitch uh, channel that's out there uh, ballistic football you can also give us a call at 317-762-1644, or you can shoot us an email at ballisticfootball at gmail.com. You know, to get in it, uh, coming off some Premier League action over the weekend, we're a little late getting to the recording this week, so there's actually been a, a day's worth of Champions League action this week. <laughs> One of the things, I think the big, the biggest news we saw relative to the Premier League over the weekend was probably what I call the, the train wreck of Tottenham is what... I think I'm, I'm coining the the club. They have just really, really continued to struggle. And uh, in the North London Derby over the weekend, they got crushed pretty good by Arsenal, who has obviously been a very poor side uh, to this point in the season. So I don't know. It's uh, really kind of – I was – Tottenham's been in kind of poor form, but I was still really surprised – uh, by that scoreline and just watching the game, they didn't look like they had it together. I don't know what it was. Uh, you know, we we talked a little bit before. I think they're a little bit uh, disjointed. And, you know, one of the things I, I, I've noticed, I think really since the summer transfer window, you know, I think Harry Kane, I think he assumed he was gone. <laughs> and uh, things have obviously changed quite a bit. He stuck around and I think he's moved on mentally from, from Tottenham. And, you know, I think there's not the chemistry that there, there once was. And to be honest, if you had an individual on your team that had kind of is focused on the next stage in their career, I don't know that you'd be really focused on, you know, buying into what, buying into that player, trusting them as a, as a teammate. But I don't know, Jesse, I mean, other observations related to what we're seeing with Tottenham. I, I totally agree with you on the the Harry Kane part. Um, to me, it looks like it looks like he he knows that he could be playing with City's midfield, and instead he's playing with Tottenham's midfield. Watching that game, he just kept dropping deeper and deeper and deeper until he was basically just grabbing the ball off of Dyer's feet. And then trying to play through Son and through Mora, uh, if it if it didn't come through the left side, it seemed like it was coming through the middle deep through Son or I'm sorry through Kane first or Son one of the two. But they just kept dropping deeper and deeper, and I, I think it's I think it's because Harry Kane is the best player on the team. Like he is the best player on the team. Uh, as much as I don't like him, I can't say that he's he's not. But he knows that he's better than all of his other midfielders. He's not trying to even, you know, I don't think he wants to play with them. I just don't think he yeah. wants to play with them. I think he wants to just, I think he's checked out from this team. Uh, I think he's still playing because he loves to play, you know, so he's, he's still sure. going out there and trying, but he's not trying as a Tottenham player. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Um I wouldn't say Arsenal just had a absolutely stellar performance, which is why they that you know they, they got a three one victory. Yeah, they caught um, a couple they caught a couple breaks, but uh, they they looked they looked like a different team than they did in August. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, Arteta was happy. Uh, it looked like he had, uh, in my opinion, it looked like he had won the Premier League. Yes, yeah, that was. He was he was jumping. I mean, his 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 emotion from that game kind of showed 
the dire straits that that he was in uh as well as arsenal but he himself yeah. and, and you could tell that that he was feeling uh, a lot of relief after after that result absolutely you know i don't know that there's much more to say there other than it was It'll be interesting to see how Tottenham goes because, you know, what from a team that I thought started pretty good at the beginning of the season, it's like an Arsenal who who started really low. It's like they're almost kind of overlapping. So uh, and, and crisscrossing with each other. Yeah. So I will it be a kind of a sustained downfall for for Tottenham? Personally, I think so. Uh, until. Until they figure out what life's going to be like without Kane, I think it's going to continue to be that way for them. I don't see Arsenal, you know, continuing an upward trend. They may find themselves in the middle of the table and, and kind of stick there. I don't see them being in the top four this oh, season. No, absolutely not. I, they'll they'll be clawing for six. Yeah, um, if they yeah if they if there's any. If there's any fight in them, it'll be for for sixth. Uh, they'll be sniffing European competition, but that's about it. Uh, I, my, I guess I'm wondering now: does uh, is is Arteta's hot seat cooling down, and is Nuno now on the hot seat? Atana, because they have they have looked terrible for what three games now. They've looked they've just looked rough. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely the case. I mean. I don't know. It's it's one of those things though, where everybody thinks that switching a manager is going to solve a long term problem, and you know, it's. I think the tendency is let's just rifle through managers till we find the one that fits. And there's some aspect of team performance I think that's that's cyclical, and you know, the Harry Kane aspect doesn't help try to get them to the upside of that cycle. But at the same time, you know, going through managers left and right there's got to be some aspect of stability that helps but on the flip side of that i mean i don't know what's going on in the locker room there but if if players have kind of lost confidence in a manager you're not going to get performance out of them and you know it'll be interesting to see if they continue to slide if that really if that continues to be the case for them elsewhere in the league uh <laughs> i i'd mentioned this on previous shows and it's interesting that it's kind of come I think kind of come to fruition is that uh, Aston Villa obviously beat Manchester United and that was unexpected. I think I'd made some comments previously that I wondered if Ronaldo coming and kind of their, you know, win with having him against Newcastle, if that was kind of a flash in the pan. And I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of looking that way. Um, I think Ole's kind of got them to a point where he's built a good squad. I don't know strategically if he's the person to take them to the next level and keep them there. I, I, you know, I think where he's at right now and kind of what he did last season is just, I, I don't know that there was anything conscious on his part to get him there. I just think it was, he was along for the ride, you know, and is it still early to say Ole out? Yeah, I would say so. And I don't know that there are very many good options available. I'm, I'm not a huge, huge Zidane fan as a manager. Um, so that's not really something that's on my radar, but it just seems like the issues that are prevalent in every single match, most of it's in the midfield and, Fred and McTominay are not long-term solutions for the midfield in United. And at this point, if I'm in Ali's shoes, I would I would be trying out something different. You know, whether it's Donny, you know, I don't even care. I don't even care if it's Juan Mata, Matic. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's just try something different because Fred. Fred especially is not working out. And I don't know how many times he gave up possession. Um, the you know the commentator even that I was listening to was talking about how that's the main weakness in United squad right now is is the midfield area, and they could just not they couldn't manage possession through the midfield. 
So you can have Ronaldo up top all you want. He's not going to solve that problem. You'll know more about this than I will. But in that in that match, that Villa match, they played Pog, Pogba out wide. Like he played like a like a left sided uh, center mid. Yes. I mean, I, you know, there's always fluidity to positioning and stuff throughout the match, but. I don't understand why like Pogba isn't occupying a role next to Fred or McTominay in that in that game. Uh, when when Villa comes out with basically six people in midfield, uh, just they just flooded the midfield and, and kind of just took Fred and McTominay out. They took that that link up play away from United. It was it was go long, but like you couldn't they couldn't do anything through the middle of the field. So why wouldn't you bring somebody like Pogba back into that position where if if they want to try and mark Pogba out, they're going to have to do a much, much, much more difficult job than if they try and mark McTominay and Fred out. But yeah. I, I don't think that Ole is going to outmanage pretty much half the Prem if, you know, if he's lucky and, and almost none of the top European managers. So when it comes down to similar quality on the on the pitch i don't i don't have confidence if i'm a united supporter that all is going to be able to make the adjustments or even just come up with a, a game plan from the start that's going to put his players into a position to succeed it really just seems like he's going to rely on moments of brilliance from some really brilliant players and, and so they're going to be there there's going to be those moments it's just a matter of of you know as a, as a manager, you want to help facilitate that as often as possible, and Ali's not going to do that. Yeah, and you know the other thing too is uh, I think along with that is, you know, I think Mason Greenwood's a quality quality player. I think he holds onto the ball too long. You know, I just towards the end of the game, he was gassed, and you you think that that would be the opportunity of any opportunity to try to, you know, play the ball off, you know, to someone else just so you could to get a quick rest, but he would retain possession. And by the time he was looking to pass the ball off and lay it off to somebody, it was too late. They yeah. had already recovered. And, you know, Bruno missing the PK at the end of the game, I don't care about that. I mean, the reality was is they did not play well. And, you know, yeah, it would have been great to get a draw, but they weren't deserving of it. So, I mean, there's probably people that are super harsh against Bruno, but I read some stuff saying – it was a predetermined decision that he would take a penalty if there was one. So it wasn't, you know, there's all this, all this speculation that Bruno was like, you know, I'm going to take this, told Ronaldo to back off. That's not the case. Yeah. So that PK, what I, yeah, sure. It would have been great if he made it. At the end of the day, though, they did not play well. And the result was reflective of, of that situation. So I mean, every, everybody that takes a PK is eventually going to miss one. And he's been really solid. It, it's it's silly to to suggest that Bruno not be your your penalty taker. He's been he's been so sound for you know what two seasons. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to argue against that. I don't see any reason why. Uh, obviously, be disappointed that it didn't go in, but but with the choice for him to take it, that's not that's not a bad choice at all. That's a perfectly reasonable choice. Uh, Ronaldo taking it, honestly, I feel like I feel like that would kind of set a bad precedent for the team. It, it, it doesn't matter what you've done. Ronaldo's not a a surefire penalty taker either. He's good, but Bruno's been amazing. Like, there's no yeah. reason to to say to say it doesn't matter what you've done. This is the guy always will be, no matter what. Like, that's that's crap. Right. Uh, I think that Ronaldo's reaction afterward kind of kind of summed up to me what I think a lot of the United supporters feel. Like he was, there were there were audible frustrations by by Ronaldo, and I would like to see him be the kind of player that's. I mean, he's mature. He's been through this. He's missed PKs to right. you know be there to help support his team, his teammate. But I think that I think that he was he was probably feeling pretty similarly to a lot of uh, a lot of us armchair armchair <laughs> right. fans. So. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, part of me thinks too, they just, they need to find their rhythm. Um, it's, it's early on in the season still. It'll be very telling when they, uh, they've got a match tomorrow in the Champions League. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Maybe they bounce back. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully they do. I'm, I'm uh, sure they got a good squad. Yeah. And if I'm they, sure if they can't make anything of it, that's going to be a bummer. So, uh, moving on, circling back to Liverpool, like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, they had a, uh, really entertaining match against Brentford. That was fun to watch. I know that's probably not the result you were hoping for, but I also felt like, I don't feel like Liverpool played poorly. I think, I think Brentford played really well. Yeah. So I, I just think it was, a uh, you know, that, that day was a pretty evenly matched game. I, I don't think that there was, you know, one team that was playing. I, I think Brentford was probably playing a little bit above what expectations would be, but I don't think Liverpool helped, you know, them look better, I guess, for lack of better words. No, I think there was, I think there was a few things that Brentford did really, really well. And one of those was, so they, I mean, they played long balls. That's, that was basically what they did is they played long balls and Liverpool had two very good defenders challenging for those that did not win most of their aerial duels. And I think what Brentford did and did really well was they didn't play to win those aerial duels themselves. There was a couple that they went up four and one. What they did was they played to not let the other, to not let the defender win. And so what was happening is oftentimes balls were going over the defenders or just not being cleared very well. It's, it's something that they're never going to call fouls on. And, and when they do, it's not consistent. And so if you can get an opportunity where you can keep, you know, you can keep somebody down, you know, grabbing an arm, just entangling. And that's kind of what they did on, on one of the opportunities. I think it was, I don't think they scored on it, but they had an opportunity where uh, the ball gets played long. Um, I think it was Tony uh, went up for it with Matt up and just kind of just like engaged with them in a way where he couldn't jump. He couldn't get up and, you know, Matt's a giraffe. He's not going to jump super tall anyway, or super high anyway. Um, but he, you know, he couldn't get up, couldn't win it. And ball goes through and creates, you know, it creates an opportunity uh, for the other attacker who just, Ran, they just kept running onto the ball. Basically what they would do is play with the two up top. One person would challenge for the ball. The other person was making a run as if it was never going to be touched. And there were numerous times where it wasn't touched. And I thought that was, I think that was a game plan. I really do because, you know, a lot of times you see attackers go and try to win that ball. They try to win the ball. And it just didn't seem like they were even trying to win the ball. Um, it was frustrating uh, to, to see, you know, what I think are two great center backs lose aerial duel after aerial duel. But uh, I think Brentford played really well and they took advantage of the opportunities that they had. Yeah. I know you kind of, you know, we, we had talked about kind of the expected goal philosophy and for anybody that doesn't know, I mean, if you haven't, if you haven't read up on Brentford, very interesting story. I think um, Matthew Benham is, is the name of their owner. he, he acquired a stake in the club in 2007 um, when they were, I think, on the verge of bankruptcy. In 2012, he then acquired enough shares to be the majority shareholder. Um, his background was actually, he got most of his money, from my understanding, as a as a professional sports gambler and really developing models to beat out bookies. You know, he would find matches where his models show that the odds were different than what the bookies had, and then he would bet accordingly. And... So he went from doing that to actually starting a company and their whole premise was we will sell kind of our data to professional gambler gamblers and then they will they can utilize that to to place bets. One of the side benefits of that is he now has kind of the analytical firepower to help inform decisions at at the club level. And so I think in 2007 they were in the fourth tier of English football and they're now obviously up in the Premier League. So a pretty pretty cool story if you ever get a chance to read up on. He's a very private person. 
but some of the things that they're doing at that club, I, I think it was the the seventeen eighteen season maybe uh, that I read. I want to say his thing was finding undervalued players, purchasing them, you know, developing them. And then the argument that he makes is, or that is made in the book that I read was he was as quick to sell them as he was to buy them. So as soon as he realized that the market overvalued the player, he would sell them. And I think in that one particular season, I think he netted 90 million pounds. So like, it's just a different, it's a different approach and it kind of, it flies in the face. I think of the kind of traditional, you know, football fans and that talks about how their fans were really kind of put off with this idea of, you know, this, this player was the club and you just sold them. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they progress over the course of the season and whether that's, that model is, is sustainable and, it's kind of the Moneyball type scenario, and to be quite honest, I'm. I think Moneyball is a pretty cool story, but I always thought to myself, I was like, there's so many stats in baseball, so many ways to keep track of different things related to the game. It's a lot easier because of all the data points to come up with things that cor- correlate to wins and therefore championships. And so I just never thought like, oh, you know, football is an area where that applies as well. I, it's hard to argue with the product they put on the field. I mean, they, they did look really good. Um, I thought they had a couple of players play. I mean, what seemed like they were playing out of their boots. Like it was, it was wild. They were, they were everywhere. Uh, their keeper was making some great saves. Their center back was making runs down the field late in the match. Like it was, <laughs> it was just fun. It was a fun team to watch. Yeah, it was. I, it was a fun game yeah, to watch. It was. It was. I I wish that. You know, Liverpool would have kept their foot on the throttle a little bit. Uh, there was a couple opportunities that they either should have finished or, or you know, just kind of gone for goal a little bit, and they they didn't. It's you know, it's not the not the result that I wanted, but I mean, I was entertained. You know, the other I guess the other match we could probably talk about a little bit is uh, Chelsea City. I think you know, depending on who you talk to. Some felt like Chelsea played a pretty good match. It was just City was able to kind of edge out a a win in that one. I didn't get to watch much of that match. Uh, it seemed what I did watch seemed pretty even. I didn't really get the feeling from what I watched that Chelsea was significantly outperforming City. You know, it, it didn't feel like they were completely dominating the match, but. I, I don't know. Were you able to watch that one over the weekend? I was. I, I'm I'm one of those that thinks that Chelsea played pretty well. I thought that a, a draw probably would have been a more fair result. I I think that I think that uh, something that gets talked about in American football is like the bend don't break idea, where you know you know if the other team moves the ball down the field, it's not as big a deal uh, as long as they're not putting the ball into the end zone. Yeah, and. I mean, to me, that's kind of that's kind of what Chelsea looked like. They looked like they weren't going to try to outpossess City. They were going to give them possession, but they just were not going to let them get into good opportunities to score. And there were a few chances in the you know in the first fifty minutes, sixty minutes. Uh, but I mean, their goal wasn't a great chance. It wasn't a great chance. It was a deflection. You know. Uh, they were fortunate to get that same deflection last week. Ngoa Conte got that deflection, and, and this time it was Gabriel Jesus. And, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, you can't, can't catch all the breaks. But uh, I, I really think that, that basically up until that point, it was – I think Chelsea was playing the game they wanted to play. I think that Lukaku is probably – going to destroy clubs that have just you know the the less than premier center backs but I I mean he looked outclassed and I, I don't know that he was gonna do a whole lot anyway uh, yeah but I think that I think that nil nil one one would have been a fair result uh, I think if Chelsea caught caught a break they could have they could have you know easily put one in 
But yeah, I, I think the last 15, 20 minutes of that were Chelsea trying to, you know, trying to put one in. Therefore, they left a little bit exposed, and it gave City a couple of uh, a couple more chances. But even with a couple better opportunities, they still couldn't finish. They still couldn't couldn't capitalize. And so I think that that goes towards you know if they had a striker, if they had a striker, they they put that game away in the last twenty minutes. You know, two three nothing. But right. without that true striker, they can't do that. And so I, I, I I'm worried if I'm a City f- supporter. And as a Chelsea supporter, I'm taking that, you know, I'm taking the lumps on that one and saying, all right, we got unlucky. But I think that, yeah. you know, a draw would have been a fair result. I want to go back real quick to get your reaction to something. So I yeah. just just stumbled upon um, they they asked Ollie why he plays Fred and McCominay. Okay. So I'm just yeah. going to, this is, this is a quote. Uh, the way we broke up play against Villa, I think they are very instrumental together. The energy and desire, I really like to have the two of them. I can trust them to give us what they've got. <laughs> I think one of the things is I I don't disagree with the fact that they're both extremely hard workers. But at the end of the day, you can't just have people that work hard and say that's good enough. So, I, I'm curious. That's my two cents on that quote. It kind of it kind of frustrates me. Uh, it's, I, but that's that's what you're getting from Ole, though. You're you're getting what he can give. As a as a, th- yeah. his, that quote literally embodies him as a manager. He will give you what he has, and he did. He gave you what he has against Villa, and I feel right. like I feel like you can't ask for more. Um, you know, the players could have done things better. They could have they could have done something. But tactically, I, I, they weren't set up for success. Ole yeah. gave you everything that he has. <laughs> I love it. I say Ole till like twenty thirty. <laughs> he help, he helps uh, cap them for making further progress. He so. really does. He really does. I feel like I feel like with Ole at the helm, I'm not going to be super worried about a Premier League title. I'm definitely not worried about Champions League. I say this, and I'm going to be eating crow in about <laughs> six months. I'm sure, but the you know it's just it's just one of those things that I don't think that he will be able to make to tactically make those changes. And I, there are so many other managers out there that are tactically more astute than he is. I think that he's probably a good man manager. Uh, it seems like the players love to play for him. Yeah. So that's, I think that's great, but you know, it's, you can't just have one. You have to have both. You have to have somebody that the players want to play for, but also somebody that can, you know, create opportunities on the field. Right. And you have to take advantage of mismatches. And, and it's, it's honestly one of the things that, you know, like frustrates me about about some of the top top managers. Like, I mean, like Jurgen Klopp. I love the guy. He's an amazing uh, manager. The players love him. I don't know that we're ever going to see anything other than a four three three. When we see anything else, it's it, his hands forced due to injury or something. But it's never it's never tactical. It's never oh well, this team likes to play this way, so we're going to try to do something different. I I mean, I get it. The four through three works. It's worked for him for years. Well, and it's that I think it's that mentality too. Like I'm going to force them to play our game. I'm not going to react to what they're putting on the field. It's like okay, like that's good in concept. And if you're just if you're like Barcelona back in their heyday, yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna budge for anybody else. They're gonna play their game and they're not gonna worry about it. But right. that's not the case for everybody. It's an ego thing. It's. It's this works. I know it works. I've seen this work, uh, you know, hundreds of times. This is gonna, this is gonna do it. But, you know, there's, there's only so much that you can do when a team puts ten people behind the ball. Yeah. You know, and and I don't know. It's, I think Pep is really good when it comes to, you know, taking advantage of weaknesses in teams. I think that that's something that you will see him do with his club very well. It's it's weird to say that their billion dollar club doesn't have doesn't have the resources, uh, you know, quality wise on the field. But 
yeah, if they had if they had a striker, if I'm so glad they don't have Harry Kane right now. I am so glad that they don't. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think the Prem would be a competition. I really don't. It would be yeah. it would be Bayern in the Bundesliga. It'd be I, I would say, you know, a PSG. But we saw how that went. I went back to talking about United, so we can move on to some some. No, I, <laughs> I just I think there's gonna come a time where they they have to figure out what direction they want to head, and I if they want to push further, Ollie may get him there to a certain extent, but I think he's there's a ceiling for him. And they they're going to have to come to terms with. It can it can be an assistant though. It doesn't have to be Ale. You know what I mean? He can yeah. stay. They just need to bring somebody who's comfortable being a number two, but being the tactical person. And they might have that. And if they do, they need to get rid of them because <laughs> it's not good. Uh, Michael Carrick. <laughs> is that is that who they have underneath? I don't. I he's he's one of their assistants. I know that, but uh, no. But no, you know, no. and it it. I mean, that's the case too. We talked about it before. Just because you're a player doesn't make you a great you know tactician. You know, maybe you, as a player you were a great player and you played your role really well. That doesn't make you a good strategist. Right. <laughs> so, right. I mean, these these guys know the game because they've played it their entire life. But it's it's such a different game when you're on the sideline. Yeah. It's it's such a different game. So well, you and I, you and I know that. I mean, yeah. it's you know you can, you know what you want them to do, you know because you know what needs to be done. But sometimes articulating it and getting multiple people on the same page, that's the challenge, and getting them motivated to do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can you can tell, you can tell your team this is what we're going to do. They can go out there and they can do exactly what you're telling them to do positionally they then have to have the quality to deliver that and you have to be able to put like you you have to be able to plan for when those things don't work don't when it when either the ball just isn't bouncing the way that it needs to or conditions dictate that that's not going to work you know you'll get you'll get just rainy days you'll get windy days you'll get Teams that let their grass grow so that you can't play on the ground, you know those things happen. They and they, like it's a, it's a thing. It's it's a legit thing that will happen. And when that happens, you have to be able to adapt and adjust. And it's so easy to to sit on the side as a supporter, as a fan, as somebody just watching the game and and see it and say, right. oh well, why aren't you seeing this? But it's another thing when you're in the middle of it and you have a a, a player closing down on you. And you're trying to pick your head up, look around, find the ball again, receive the ball well, and then make that next play, you know, in a split second. And right. and you have to be able to do that knowing that uh, – just knowing where somebody else is going to be, which is down to formation and tactics and just a general comfort of a system. Kind of moving away from the Premier League, like, like I said earlier um, – while we're recording this, there's been a, a day's worth of Champions League action in the books. None of the results except one uh, were surprising. Uh, mentioned Liverpool again. They had a pretty decisive win, 5-1 over Porto. So another good result for them. Uh, the The story of the day is uh, <laughs> good old Real Madrid. Uh, they took a, a 2-1 loss to, to Sheriff. I got to be very, very honest with you. I did not know where that club even was. Um, it's yeah. And it, it's the second time I've, I've even heard of them. Um, so I had to do a little bit of research before, before the show to see where they're out of. So a couple interesting stats from the game. Real Madrid had 75% of the possession. Uh, I think they, uh, I think Sheriff had four shots. Yep. So 50% conversion, pretty solid. Three on target. <laughs> and then I think Real Madrid outshot, yeah, 28 to four. Yep. And, you know, talking about expected goals, I had to look that up because <clears throat> I was curious. Um, Real Madrid, 3.29 to Sheriff's 0.42. So, you know, from all accounts, Real Madrid 
except from the scoreline standpoint, just dominated that game. Yeah, but, the ball literally lived in Sheriff's half the entire game. Yeah. Like, if you look at the heat map from that, there's like, it's, it's, Sheriff's half is red. And then where the center backs play for Real, there's some red, you know, from them moving the ball around. Um, and then there, there's, there's like two blotches uh, from, from right in front of Real's goal. That's it. That's like, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. There's literally parts of the field that are untouched on Real's half. <laughs> well, and, and to be fair, I mean, they're, they're at the top of the, of La Liga right now, you know? So, yeah. I mean, we talked about, we talked about complacency last week and yeah, I mean, that's what it is. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's unlucky. To not convert on what like eleven shots on goal or something, yeah, eleven yeah. shots on goal. It's unlucky to not convert on any of those. But at the same time, you know, there that last header was unmarked. The guy unmarked at the back post. Like you can't turn off. You you and this is this is evidence of that. Like you know, you turn off even against a team from Moldova that would absolutely stomp probably anybody that we see play. Yeah, uh, but it's uh, <laughs> this is this is the game that you expect Real to put seven in, you know? Yeah, you expect seven, and they only scored on a penalty. That's exactly right. And I'm not a I'm not a Real Madrid fan at all. I'm also not much of a Barcelona fan. So I, I think it, I think our laughter kind of gives that away. <laughs> Well, I probably wouldn't be bringing it up otherwise, or at least be so excited about it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> was there were there any other results from the weekend that you thought is worth worth mentioning? Those were the main ones that I that I just but, wanted to to talk about. But those are the those are the main ones. There was two two things from today that I wanted to uh, that I wanted to bring up uh, and ask you about, and. And it kind of goes back to our VAR conversation. How how much do you want consistency in the officiating of matches? Because today we had in the city match, the city PSG, PSG. match. Yep. Kevin Bruyne comes over the top of the ball. He tries to control. He tries to to you know just possess the ball. He comes over the top and. Very similar to Juan Basaka's red card last week. Clearly, like, stomps. I don't want to say stomps, but over the top of the ball, studs on shin. I mean, almost identical to, to Juan Basaka. And, you know, it, I'm assuming it gets looked at, and they stick with the yellow card. And, you know, that's – you have two two English clubs, two different matches – I mean, the result wasn't going to be any different for City today, but the result could have been different for for United. Right. You know? And so that's one where I'm okay either way because, you know, they both lose. I'm happy. But but I would be I'd be absolutely livid if, you know, I watch one of one of Liverpool's players get sent off for what I mean, it's hard to argue that it's not a red card. Uh, and then I turn around and I watch the star player of another team, a rival team, not get sent off for the exact same challenge. Yeah. Because it's what, like 25 minutes into a match? Like, no, nah, like, come on. That's that's where I want consistency. I, I'm the same boat. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to try to create an environment in each one of these games that's as similar as possible. I know you got the home and away aspect of it. You're never going to avoid that. But the the things that should be consistent are the refereeing, the really in my in my opinion the the pitch. You know, and I know it depends on where you go. You get different pitch sizes. You get different pitch qualities. But those are the two. Those are the two factors that, in my opinion, should be consistent in and out, no matter what, because. The home and away aspect of it, the weather, there's all kinds of other things that play, you know, environmental factors. A referee should not be considered an environmental factor. Totally agree. And so they need to they need to be consistent. The other thing, too, though, is 
I just don't feel like they're transparent enough with what gets reviewed and what doesn't. And it's like, well, you know, they looked at it. Well, there was no like stoppage to know whether or not they did. And so, you know, we hear it secondhand from after the game in a match report, whatever. I should know in the middle of the game whether or not that's getting reviewed. Right. So that, there's just some frustration with me from that standpoint. I, I feel like, you know, the subjectivity in officiating should be kept to you know, some of the 50-50 stuff, some of the, you know, the smaller fouls. There, there needs to be more standardization of what is and is not a red card. Yeah. I know that's hard to do. Like it's it's really really difficult to to come up with that. But in American football, they have like a set criteria for what they consider targeting in college football. You know, did they launch? Is the, you know, crown of the helmet, forceful impact, stuff like that. And it's not perfect, but it does a pretty good job. And this is one where you know they there's like a yellow can be reckless, but. A red is if you endanger the player's safety. Yeah. Where's the distinction between those two? <laughs> right, right. Like, seriously, it's... I feel like you're you're arguing for the exact same thing in those cases. But, and this, it's just, it's it's an entirely hypothetical for me in this case, because, you know, I'm, I don't really care either way from either, from either match. Like, I don't really care if KDB gets sent off, and I, I don't care if one Basaka gets sent off. Like it doesn't really matter to me, but at the same time I do care because I don't want to watch a match where PSG is dominating possession because they're down to 10. Uh, the city's down to 10 for what, you know, would be considered not a foul in another game or not a red card in another game. In this case, obviously it's the opposite way. You know, I, I, I say that because city PSG is, is, like that's the biggest ticket of the day. Everybody wants to watch right. that match. It would it would suck to watch that match. And I I honestly wonder if that's something to do with it. You don't want to ruin this high profile match because of that. But right, uh, you know, I, I think I think it's I think it's definitely a red. But and then Who's, the what's that? So Messi did actually score in that one, right? Messi, yeah, Messi did. Yeah, it was a it was a great goal too. Is that his first? PSG. For PSG, I believe it is. Yeah, I guess Leipzig lost, which is kind of a bummer because they had actually won over the weekend pretty decisively over Hertha Berlin. And, you know, Jesse Marsh, an American coach, is obviously a lot of people stateside are keeping an eye out to see how he's doing, hopes. And the, the struggle I think there is the team basically got gutted after last season. And so yeah. – He's doing the best with what he can. I think one of the good things is the manager, or I'm sorry, their um, their general manager, whoever, basically said like he's right where we want him right now. You know, there's no concern. So that was good to see support support from that aspect. But yeah, uh, I wonder what the expected goals was from that one as well. Yeah, I'm not seeing I'm not seeing that one for whatever reason. Yeah, the the Real one. Real Madrid, Sheriff. <laughs> that? Three, three point three to four point yeah. four. Sorry, zero point yeah. four. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> that yeah. is rough. Well, you know, from a XG standpoint, people look at that and they're like, "See, doesn't even doesn't even matter. It's two one." You know. Yeah. But you got to consider that model was built with the, with the thought process of trying to predict future results of games. Well, I mean, look at the look at the PSG Man City one. It's zero right. <laughs> to one point nine seven, and like, yep. that's I, I don't know. I know you're a skeptic. I, I, am, I, <laughs> I am a skeptic. I am a skeptic. So it's the the analytics go deeper than can be explained in a podcast. Uh, in a, in yeah. a single part podcast, it would have to be a multi. Oh yeah, podcast. it'd have to be a series. Maybe yeah. we can get this. Maybe we can get the author on. Have him do a, a three part series or something. I, I mean, if he just wants to read the, <laughs> we'll just have him. Read the <laughs> we'll do a reading. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll just be asking questions every every couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 
So, and <laughs> obviously, uh, not have the, the, the intellect to add anything to the conversation, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully clear stuff up for, uh, for anybody who's confused on it. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there trying to explain it. And I think there's good bits here and there, but I think, I don't know that any of them really know. <laughs> yeah. Cause even, you know, I read the book, even then it, there's not details into like what data is being collected, you know, as they're doing these analyses, they talk about trying to basically quantify quality. So like, how do you right. train people to keep track of quality on a consistent basis? That's tough. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to, to have a metric like that and have it be completely objective. Right. Without, you know, without there being any dividing by zero kind of yep. situations. Yeah. Uh, have we heard anything else about Pepe to Oh, IS? yeah. I have not heard anything since then. But yeah, that'd be, that'd be an awesome move for him, I think. You know, it's funny because we weren't we talking about how, like, some of these players need to be open to, you know, the Dutch league and it doesn't necessarily have to be Germany, England, or Spain, you know, or right. Italy for that matter. Like there are other really good leagues. So I think that'd be a great, a, a great fit for him. Yeah. I don't think, uh, I don't think that they'll keep Sebastian Haller at Ajax for too long. Yeah. He's been he's been tearing it up, as was pointed out by another one of our another one of the guys in the Discord. Well, and I think you're talking about Americans in action. I I heard that Joe Scally had another really solid game for Monaghan, and uh, they actually I think they beat Dortmund over the weekend. They sure yeah. did. One nil. Yeah, Dortmund had a red card. That's but. right. That's right, and it was it was an interesting one. It was a it was a hand gesture by Dahoud after getting called for a foul. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was <laughs> a it his first yellow was it was like I I could see it being a yellow. Ten minutes in, it's one of those where like you've seen those get let go, but like. There was a bunch of cards in the in that match, especially early. And then yeah, he gets called for a foul and he like throws his arm down. Like like it's a clear out of frustration thing. He throws his arm down and the ref is having none of it and just immediately pulls out the yellow. Uh, a couple seconds go by, he pulls out the red. <laughs> it that was I don't know. Do you think he do you think he yellow Gave him a yellow card, not like forgetting he gave him a yellow prior. It it looked like it. It looked like it. Watching the the highlight, it looks like that could be the case. It also though seeing all of the other yellows issued early in that match, it just seems like he was having a bad day. Really? Yeah, like he like he was just he was just dishing him out. He was he went full <laughs> like a magician. Breath. Yeah. Not full over <laughs> like you get a yellow, you get a, just <laughs> yeah, right. dishing him out. Yeah. So well, yeah, it's so I guess looking looking to tomorrow, a lot of good games coming up from a Champions League standpoint, including United, like I talked about earlier. Yeah. Hopefully they can bounce back. That'd be good going into the weekend. We'll see if young boys can keep their streak alive. Jordan P. Fox been playing really well. <laughs> so Score, scoring goals left and right. That I have you watched much Atlanta? I haven't. No, they're a fun team to watch as well. Are they? Yeah, yeah. I, I like watching them. Uh, I try and well, and I'm I actually might get to watch some of that match tomorrow. Yeah, It'll be over over my lunch. Yeah, early match. So it's it's they're they're a fun team. And then you Venice Chelsea. That'll be a good one. So yeah, uh, I'm a little disappointed in in Conte. Uh, missing, missing this one. He every whenever he's on the field, whatever team he plays for is just a much better team. Juventus has looked 
rough the this this season. Yeah. So yeah. so hopefully yeah, hopefully that helps balance it out a little bit. Maybe Weston McKinney can actually have a standing chance of doing something in mid. <laughs> Maybe uh shown some shine before we have this next round of World Cup qualifiers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're ten- they're tenth in the in Syria, so yeah. they are they are struggling. That means that they have actually uh, won something then. Yeah, maybe last they... maybe last weekend. Loss, loss, draw, win, win. So they won their last two in Syria. Okay. Yeah, but prior to that, I knew that they hadn't they hadn't won in their first three. Yeah, so the good games, and then we got some Europa League action later this week as well. Uh, looking forward to the weekend uh, matchups in the Premier League. United Everton will be a pretty good one to keep an eye on. We'll see if Arsenal keeps their their hot streak going. Is, is Richarlison <laughs> back yet? I don't know. If if he is back, it might might be competitive. Might be, but yeah, it seems like it seems like Everton's pretty happy to be the uh, the whipping boys for. United. Yeah, and I I don't think they've they haven't been playing great from what I from what I recall. They just get destroyed. Like I don't know. Yeah. I either either on the pitch or in the transfer, it seems like Yeah. It it seems like United's always getting the upper hand on them. Yeah. But Liver Liverpool City will be a good one. I am not looking forward. To that. <laughs> well, uh, a lot to talk about next week, won't we? <laughs> yeah, uh, Alexander Arnold missed today. Today's game uh, with injury, uh, picked up in training, and I guess he's a doubt for for that match as well. And yeah, if you ever wanted to see how important one one player can be, I feel like that'll be the match to see it. So. Yeah, looking forward to it. We've actually run out of time. So, Jesse, I just want to thank you for stopping by again. And always good to to chat football. You've been listening to the Ballistic Football Podcast, where real amateurs talk real football. Again, I'm your host and producer, Matt. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballistic Footy. We're also on Facebook as well, now on Twitch. And you can also, don't forget, call us at 317-762-1644 be happy to even potentially play your voicemail on one of our shows provided it's pg rated or you can shoot us an email at ballisticfootball at gmail.com thanks again and have a good one send us a message